Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we never take it for granted this opportunity to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, hold your Bibles up high. It doesn't matter the form that they take. And let's say our Bible confession. Here we go. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we're going to take our time today, and I want you to stay locked in with me. Here's your very first image image that you have seen over and over again. We're talking about our vision. We're on category two, which is re-engage. It says this has a goal. Re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation, knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. We are on the account of Jairus and his daughter. And basically what you have here, you have a man named Jairus who has a daughter who's 12 years old. And for whatever reason, we don't really know, his daughter lay in the bed dying. In summary, Jairus comes to find Jesus in hope that Jesus can revive his daughter. Jesus says, yeah, you know what? I'll go with you. And he goes with him. Now, Jesus does actually revive his daughter, but one thing is noteworthy about what happens in the process and how he does it. Jesus does not revive his daughter until he clears the room of anyone who has an air of faithlessness. Said different, he does not turn this girl's life around until he gets rid of the wrong people. Hear how several Bible books and versions put that climactic moment where Jesus revives the girl. Notice this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 25, both in the easy to read and the message, the message, the easy to read first, as you can see, indeed Jesus did end up getting the girl up. It says the girl stood up. But he did not go into the girl's room and grab her hand, and the girl did not stand up until after the people were put out of the house. Same chapter, same verse in the message. Oh, Jesus did pull this girl to her feet alive. But he did not go into her room. He did not take her hand and pull her up until after Jesus had gotten rid of the crowd, that wrong crowd. 
Mark chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. And we're just taking excerpts out of these and just kind of give, giving you a high-level overview. It is true that the damsel arose and, arose and, walk, and walked. So Jesus did what Jairus hoped he would do. But he did not go in and take the damsel's hand. He did not tell her, Talitha Kumi. He did not tell her to arise until after he had put them all out. Luke chapter 8, verse 54. Yeah, he did tell the maid to arise, and she did get up, but it wasn't until after he put them all out. Loved ones, as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is doing a work in you, that work that God is doing in you, when he's renewing your mind and changing your heart, you know, they used to say, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. When God is doing all that stuff in you, it is vital that you only surround yourself with the right people. As such, we ask you, if you take every person in your circle and you identify them as a coin, and imagine in your mind that that coin has one thing stamped on one side and another thing stamped on the other side. One, one side stamped the right people, the other side stamped the wrong people. If you imagine your associates that way, one of those sides and only one truly identifies their state in your life. Notice this image. Family, they're either the right people or the wrong people. There's no middle ground. There is no gray. There is no coin's edge. Even if you could balance that person on the edge, the very first time the earthquakes they're going to end up on one side or the other. One side of that coin represents who they really are in your life. Following this session, your task, to the best of your ability, is going to be to tag every person in your circle as the right people or the wrong people for you. I'm not asking you to put your heart and your mind into somebody else's circle. That's not your business. You mean I cannot give advice? I'm not saying you cannot give advice. What I'm saying is the objective and the task is about your circle. Once we're done sweeping around your front door, then we can make some decisions as to what kind of input you can give into somebody else's circle. But we're talking about your circle. And by tag, I mean figuratively tag. I know some of us saints are very literal. Don't you go to the store buying them conference ID tags that you put on people's, people's shirts and writing right people and wrong people on and trying to put physical tags on folk. That's not what we want to do. 
Don't want to have nobody coming up into your house and you got a sticker for them. <laughs> Put this on, baby. They're like, oh, we fancy up in here. We got name tags. What does it mean, wrong people? Don't worry about it. You ain't going to be here long enough to find out. <laughs> Go in there and get you something to eat and don't kick your shoes off. You'll be leaving in a minute. We talking figuratively tagging the people in your life. That's where we are. This, this process, that step of tagging is going to prepare you for the very next stage of the process, which is taking the actions necessary to make sure that the people in your circle are people that can promote a better life for you. It's going to bring you to the point of some very hard decisions for many of you, myself included. Don't you think that I'm just having you do this exercise? It, it's, going to, it's going to bring some of us to a point of very hard decision. And since it's going to bring us to that point of very hard decision, there is a Christian norm that I need to address up front. If this Christian norm is a part of you, it's going to be a roadblock to you as it relates to this process. Yeah. What is that Christian norm? That Christian norm is for believers to begin sentences and statements with two words. Here they are. God said. God said. Now, a variation of that is God told me. But they start things off with, God said. Now, just to put something out just in the open, hopefully, hopefully you know that I want you to hear from God. But when people use this, I believe that many, many believers use these words as a lead-in as an attempt to preempt or halt a challenge to what they are sharing or getting ready to share. It's not necessarily the fact that God has said, it's just that they don't want you to challenge what they're saying God has said. And they say things emphatically like, God said, that I should start this business. God says that, hey, I should go back to school. God said that I should, you know, what, what, what else could we, could we say? That I should move into this house. God says that I should re relocate to that country. God said that I should accept that job. God said. God said, God said. And since we're talking about us cleaning up our circles, let's talk about something relational that hits closer to home. God said that this person is supposed to be my wife. God said this person is supposed to be my husband. God said we're supposed to be friends for life. God says me and this person 
We are supposed to be together. In that regard, loved ones, that statement, God said, is a challenge blocker. That statement, God said, that statement right there is a conversation ender. As it relates to the process of you cleaning up your circle, that God said, that is a process stopper. If you are a person who you've settled in yourself that an individual or certain individuals in your circle are present because God said, this message will probably fall on deaf ears. If what you said in your mind that, oh, God said, is, is, is going to fall on deaf ears. Now, keep in mind, I hope and pray that you know that I urge and push and desire nothing more than for you to hear from God. By the way, one of the most surefire ways to hear from God is to read your Bible. That being stated, though, and that being clarified, in case there are any questions, let me go ahead and affirm right now that your pastor desires you to hear from God. However, Those two words there, God said, or the variation God told me, is not always presented because God really told that person. It's just that they don't want you to challenge what they are saying God told them. If you are a person that has, you settled that that person or those people are in your circle because God said this will probably fall on deaf ears. Will you get something, anything out of the message? Well, sure, I'm sure you'll get something. But I am uncertain in regards to how much you will actually believe applies to you or how much of it you will actually attempt to apply. For everybody else, for the rest of us, for those who have not just dogmatically settled that that person is in my circle because God said, and I'm going to leave them there because God said, for all other peoples, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to challenge you to evaluate and scrutinize every single person in your circle. And by default, that also includes you scrutinizing the people that are there because you said God said they should be there. So yes, in that regard, I challenge you to challenge what you said that God said. 
but you say to me, now hold up, pastor. Because you think, pastor, that I'm just sitting here looking pretty and not paying attention. Several sessions back, pastor, you gave us a scenario and through a biblical account of the Garden of Eden and Eve and this serpent. And you might have not have thought I was paying attention, but I was. Because, Pastor, you presented us with a verse. I know you presented us with a verse because right after <laughs> I put in my Amazon order and made sure my Target pickup would be ready at the church, I looked up. Ooh, I, I said a lot there, didn't I? <laughs> After I finished in my post, Pastor, I looked up, and I happened to remember you talking about this very thing. I actually recall the scripture that you used. So, Pastor, I, I present to you and the rest of the congregation and, and the rest of the court Exhibit 1. Look at y'all putting stuff in my message. <laughs> Pastor, this is what you told us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Pastor, easy to read version, says, the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. The snake spoke to the woman and said, woman, did God really tell you that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Pastor, you went on to say that the wrong people in your circle can be identified because they will ask you indirectly or directly concerning what God said to you and try to get you to downgrade your certainty concerning what God said. You said, pastor, that they will try to shake you away from what God said. Now, good pastor, you're telling us that you are here today to challenge us to look into our circle, and that even includes a challenge for us to challenge the people that we said God said should be in our circle. So, pastor, let me tell you, are you wrong people? Pastor, I believe what we got it on recording what you just asked me to do, Pastor, is to challenge my circle. And that even includes a challenge to challenge me to challenge the people that I said God said should be there. I like how y'all think. You all are a well-taught bunch. And you're doing what good disciples should do. It's okay to question. It's okay to check. Here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you for a small moment of grace. What do I mean? I'm going to ask you 
to allow, just for a moment, my coin to balance on the coin's edge. Don't put me in right people yet. Don't put me in wrong people yet. Just for the moment, balance me on the edge. By the end of this session, we'll see where I topple. But spoiler alert, I'm the right people. Loved ones with my coin's true identity hanging in the balance. I now begin to challenge you. Even right now, I want you to start thinking about the people that are in your circle. And a challenge to what God said, you know can go far beyond people in your circle because we've already mentioned jobs and and businesses and stuff like that. But we are focused on the circle. The people that are what sometimes people call are in your holy of holies. I want to challenge you to begin to look at those people in the circle. Even the ones that you said God said should be there. Your God said people do not get a get out of jail free card. To do this, though, for you to take this journey with me, for you to begin your tagging, your labeling process, you must, it is required that you take three steps. What are those steps? If you're going to accept this challenge, you're going to have to take three steps. What's that challenge? Challenge number one, you got to believe, family, that God speaks through his word. Remember the Bible, Bible? Like I got my hardcover Bible here with tabs and stuff in it. You know, we get so accustomed to digital reading that we forget that the benefit of going through pages and have to get the concordance out and find where you remember where you put that highlight is that you end up just by sheer accident reading so much more of your word. Something catches your eye and you decide, I need to lock in on that for a little bit because the spirit in you says, hey, don't walk past that. But your first step to truly identifying the people in your circle and sifting them and weeding them out is to, you have to believe that God speaks through his word. What do I mean by that? You have to believe that the Bible is the living, breathing word of God. You have to believe as we confess every single service, if I don't forget to do the confession, we confess that every verse of this Bible is God-breathed. You have to be settled in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart that this Bible, the living 
word of God is applicable to every facet of your life. You must conclude and be settled that this Bible is not just a grouping of words that people wrote long ago. But it is an entry point to commune and communicate with God right now today. If you're going to accept this challenge, you're going to have to believe that. The second thing, you got to be objective. When you look at somebody, I don't care how old they are, how young they are, how cute they are, how much, how long you've known them. You got to put how you feel about them to the side. You got to put what you believe about them to the side. You got to put what you want to believe about them to the side. You got to put what you want them to be to the side. You got to take all of your emotions regarding every person in your circle and take them and lock them up in a box and put them away until after your evaluation. This is not an, an emotional thing. It's an objective thing. Third, I'm going to give you some relational criteria. And you must, you have to, Otherwise, it doesn't work. Apply the criteria without bias. Meaning, I don't care how you feel about them. Apply it on face value. And why is that number one step important? Because the criteria I'm giving you is out of the Bible. So what I'm asking you to do is compare... Here we go. Those people to, in effect, what God is saying. Let's run through your criteria. This is not the only criteria, but it is criteria I am sharing because I use this criteria. So out of all the criteria I use, I've grouped the top four, the top five, or however many I'm going to show you, and I want to give those to you. I use them as criteria. The context in which they fall in the Bible, you can go and get the broader context if you wish. But for relational criteria... For me, I've found these to be doggone skippity pretty good. Criteria. Let's go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, New Living Translation is criteria. It says, Jesus is talking, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really, rab really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. 
So every tree that does not produce fruit is chopped down and, thro and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Next criteria. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, now in the Message Bible. So same verses, but in a different version. Beware of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or other. Don't be impressed by charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are... Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Next criteria. This is out of James. James chapter 3 verses 9 through 12. Easy to read. We use our tongues to praise our Lord and Father, but, when we, but then we curse people who were created in God's likeness. These praises and curses come from the same mouth. Brothers and sisters, this should not happen. Do good water and bad water flow from the same spring? Of course not. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree make olives? Or can a grapevine make figs? No. And a well full of salty water cannot give good water. Next criteria. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Here in the voice, and I believe the next one is the same one, but in the message. It reads, my loved ones, I warn you, do not trust every spirit. Instead, examine them carefully to determine if they come from God. Because the corrupt world is filled with the voices of many false prophets. Last criteria. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Message Bible. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. Take me back to my first criteria in Matthew. Loved ones, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, NLT says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. When you hold your associates, each and every one of them, up to this criteria, how do they fare? 
what is their fruit? What does their fruit say that they are? Does it say they're good people? Do it say they're bad people? What does the criteria say? Does it call them a good tree or a bad tree? The right people or the wrong people? You tell me. What does the criteria say? Looking at this from a completely unbiased perspective. What do their actions tell you? Do their actions tell you that the right people or the wrong people? A good tree or a bad tree? The Bible says here, you can, it says, question, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer there is no. Tell me, do you have a person who you are keeping in your circle in hopes of getting from them what they will never produce? Are you looking for them to be something they will never be? Are you looking for them to start acting in a way they will never act? Can you get grapes from a thorn bush? No. Can you get figs from thistles? No. Can you get this from that nut? No. What does the criteria say? Are you judging their fruit or is it the way you feel? Are you judging their fruit or is it what you want them to be? Are you judging your fruit, the fruit, or is it how you wish they were? What does the criteria say? When you hold up the banner of that criteria to your network of people and you run each person through that criteria, are they a good tree or are they a bad tree? Don't, don't argue with it, just conclude based on the criteria. Run every person through that criteria. And as for the person that you said God said should be there, I may not be able to debate with you what you said God said, but I can tell you that God says you can identify a person by their actions. Therefore, as you are applying this criteria to your God said person, you make sure that you keep your spiritual ears completely open. Because whereas you may be saying God said that person should be there, your criteria may holler back at you, God said what? God said what? You mean to tell me God said you should keep that bad tree in your relationship? You mean to tell me God said that person that is trying to produce figs from thistles? You mean to tell me God said what? I can't debate with you what God said, but you said you would agree that this is the word of God and that God speaks from his word. So I can tell you what God is saying. God is saying, judge a person by their actions. What are the actions saying? I'm just asking you to judge the fruit. 
And even more distant from that, I'm not asking. The criteria is. Next criteria. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, now in the Message Bible. It reads, beware, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. When you put the people in your circle up against this criteria, how do they fare? How do they work out? How does it come out for them? How can you identify them? I tell you there's a simple way. Look at the quality of their character. What does their character say that they are? Or, or what does their character, who does their character say that they are? Family, don't look at their charm and charisma. Don't let their flash and their smooth talk and their smile, hey, and their tears sway you from really identifying who they really are. You tell me, when you put them up against this criteria, do they exploit your emotions? Do they exploit your pocketbook? And we're not just talking about your purse, your wallet, your bank account right there. We can expand that. Do these people exploit your time? Do they exploit your talents? Do, do, they, do they exploit your resources? When you hold your associates up to this criteria in an unbalanced manner, tell me. Are they the right people or are they the wrong people? Here it says, these diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. The other one says something very similar. When you find a diseased tree, when you find a bad apple, when you find a bad tree, you don't keep watering it. You get rid of it. Here, it's talking about being chopped down and burned. We're not talking about that. We're just saying we need to put some distance because you're a bad tree for me. For me, you're a bad tree. Family, when you put your associates up to this criteria, what happens? And as for the people that you say God said, I may not be able to debate with you about what God said to you about that person, but I can tell you that God says you should be able to identify the right people because the right people will have good character and the right people will never exploit you. 
the right people will never, ever exploit you. This thing says, will never exploit, exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. But doggone it, we can stop after exploit and instead of your, just put Y-O-U and put a period there. A genuine leader will never exploit you. A genuine right person will never exploit you. The right person in your circle will never exploit you. Never, never. Never, n not, not on purpose. Everybody can, can, can accidentally do something, but the right person, if that person is exploiting you, mm, I may not be able to debate what you said, God said about that person, but God says that the right person will have the good character and not exploit you. Therefore, when you're comparing this, that, that God said person to this criteria, I want you to keep your spiritual ears open because whereas you might be saying God said that person should be there, this criteria might holler back at you, God said what? You mean to tell me that God said that that person who's exploiting you should be there? God said what? God said that that person who lacks good character is supposed to be in your holy of holies? God said what? God wants you to keep that diseased tree? God says what? God wants you to keep eating off of those bad, those bad apples from that diseased tree? God said what? What does your criteria say? Next criteria. This is in James. James chapter 3, verse 9 through 12, easy to read. We use our tongues to praise our Lord and Father, but then we curse people who were created in God's likeness. These praises and curses come from the same mouth. Brothers and sisters, this should not happen. Do good water and bad water flow from the same spring? Of course not. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree make olives or can a grapevine make figs? No. And a well full of salty water cannot give good water. When you put your associates up next to this criteria and you sift them and you weed through them and you do it objectively, how do they fare? There's a very simple and direct way to begin to sift through them. The criteria says that you should be able to identify them by their words. What, how do they talk? Are they praising one minute and cursing the next? Are they respecter of persons? So they speak kindly to this person, but speak to this other person like a dog? What does the criteria say? What are their words? It, the verbal water that flows out of their mouth, is it good water or is it bad water? The King James Bible asks, is it bitter or is it sweet? 
what comes out of their mouth, is that water salty or is it good water? Because if the water of their words is salty, they are a salty well. If the water of their words is good, they're a good well. The water of their words bitter, bitter well. Water of their words sweet, a sweet well. What does your criteria say? I don't care how you feel about them. I don't care your relationship to them. What does the criteria say? And I love this because the context of this is talking about your words, if you were to read all of it. But I love the part where it says, can a fig tree make olives or can a grapevine make figs? And it just James would say no. Do you have people that stand before you claiming to be a fig tree, but you sit there watching them produce olives? Or vice versa? Rascal, you're standing before me and you're claiming to be a grapevine, but unless my eyes deceive me, doggone it, you are producing figs. That criteria, that part, asks you to look for obvious discrepancies. Is there a discrepancy between how you talk and how you act? Is there a discrepancy between when you put your sweet words out there and when you put your nasty words out there? What, what kind of well are you? I may not be able to get down 100 feet and actually test the well, but I can doggone sure test the water that come out of the well. Let me, nope, I'm going to save that for next week. Look, what does the criteria say? Because if you're not careful... You could be having somebody in your circle claiming to be one thing, but actually producing or being something completely different. Tell me you a fig tree and I ain't seen a fig from you yet, but I have seen fruit. I've seen oranges and apples and dates, but not what you say you are. When you put your people, your associates, up to this criteria, loved ones, how do they fare? And as for the people that you say, God said, should be in your circle, I may not be able to debate with you what God said, but I can tell you that God says a person's words and their actions should line up. I can tell you that God says a person's words and their actions should be such that when you look at them, they are not something different. Next criteria. 
John 1, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 in the voice. My loved ones, I warn you, do not trust every spirit. Instead, examine them carefully to determine if they come from God. Because the corrupt world is filled with the voices of many prophets. When you hold your your dear, your dear circle of people up to this criteria, how do they fare? I can tell you that there's an easy way to identify that because your criteria tells you to judge their spirit. With this criteria, you really benefit, loved ones, from being familiar with God's word and his spirit. When they tell you something, what does the word of God say about what they said? Do you just arbitrarily trust what they say? Or do you examine carefully through God's word what they said? When they tell you something, how does the Holy Spirit in you respond? Does it respond with a, ooh, that feels right? Or does it respond with a caution, my brother? How does the spirit in you respond? I'm asking you how the spirit in you responds. I'm not asking you how you feel about it. I'm not asking you what you hope it will be. I'm not asking what you hope they will be. I'm not asking you to look beyond anything but the criteria at face value. And I'm asking you, when they tell you something, what does the Holy Spirit, what's the response on the inside of you? How do they fare against this criteria? I mean, are they somebody whose spirit should be trusted? Or are they somebody whose spirit cannot be trusted? To do so, you have to sift it through the word of God and through the spirit of God. Don't just trust them arbitrarily. And as for the people that you said, God said, should be in your circle. I may not be able to debate with you about whether or not God said what you said God said, but I can tell you what God says is that you should not trust the spirit until you have confirmed with him that that spirit is trustworthy. You jump out and trust the spirit before you sift the spirit. And now you have gotten input from somebody that you should never have trusted. Last criteria. First John Chapter 4, verse 1 in the Message Bible. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. When you put your people up against this criteria, how do they fare? 
I can tell you one good way to determine whether or not they're right people or the wrong people is to carefully weigh and examine what they tell you and make sure it comes from God. How do you do that? Well, just like the, the same criteria in a different version. It benefits you, loved ones, for you to be familiar with God's word and for you to be familiar with God's spirit. When you are familiar with God's word and familiar with God's spirit, and then somebody comes and starts talking to you, you won't be so quick to believe everything that you hear. Because when you sift that thing through God's word and his spirit, what ends up happening is you are quick to be able to identify a liar. I know what you're saying to me, but I don't believe you because it's not lining up with God's word and it does not line up with his spirit. When you put your people to this criteria, how do they fare? How do they fare? With all this criteria, how do they fare? For this one, if you have somebody that every time you weigh what they say, you find out, I can't, I can't believe anything that you say, yet you tell me that God said that person's supposed to be in your circle? A person that you have concluded by the criteria that you can't believe nothing they say? Yeah, you put all your people through this criteria, but as for that person that you say that God said should be there, I can't debate with you whether or not God really told you what you say God told you, but I can tell you that God says that when you look at a person and you actually sift the words that they say and you weigh it and examine it to make sure it comes from him, that you should be able to delineate between people who are leading you rightly versus people who are trying to mislead you. When you sift them properly, you should be able to pick out a truth teller from a liar. So when you apply this criteria and all that other criteria to your God said people, I want you to keep your spiritual ears open because whereas you might be saying that God said that criteria might holler back at you, God said what? God told you to keep a liar in your midst. God said what? God told you to keep a spirit that's not of him in your midst. God said what? With just this criteria that I shared with you, you can see how this process can bring you to a point of tough decision. If you follow the steps right, if you believe that God's word is a living, breathing statement from God, 
Because you're going to be comparing what you said God said to what God says. And those things should match up. God shouldn't tell you one thing but then say something else in his word. They should match up. That second step, you got to put your feelings to the side. When I say it's going to bring you to a point of tough, tough decision, you might have somebody that you are evaluating, and while you are evaluating them against this criteria, tears start rolling down your face because you know how hard it's going to be. Because with shaking hands, figuratively, you have a sticker that's written wrong people that belongs on their chest. Loved ones, I give you this criteria to form guidelines that allows you to objectively start to screen your crew. Next image. But here is the ideal application of this. Ideally, believer, you do this kind of criterial, that's the word, screening before you trust somebody. You do this kind of screening before you give them access to your heart, before you give them access to your body, before you give them access to your mind, before you give them access to your spirit. The ideal scenario is for you to sift the person beforehand. That you sift them before you give them access to your life. That's why I love when I have the opportunity to talk to my young people, to my teenagers, to my young adults, for those who just want to be in a relationship, for those who just want to be liked, for those who just want to be part of the crowd. Listen, you better be careful. I don't want you to jump into something and you haven't sifted the people who are going to make up the crowd that you're going to jump into. You will do yourself a good service if you apply godly criteria to the person before you trust them, give them access to your heart, give them access to your body, give them access to your spirit, give them access to your life. You do yourself a disservice if you don't do this first. But we all know that a large quantity of us are already in stuff. We're not, we're not, we're not looking at it from the standpoint of somebody that's coming in asking, should I engage with this person? For the vast majority of us, we already engaged now. We already yoked up now. We already in that Konania now. But regardless of your relationship stage, this application of this criteria is still valid. 
at a minimum, as an adult, you have completely and truly and objectively identified, and now you know for yourself what you're working with. Or, more specifically, who you're working with. At this point, loved ones, let's return to the Garden of Eden and let's get your pastor off of that coin's edge. Next image. You presented me with exhibit one. I present you with exhibit 1A. The same verse of scripture that you used, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, easy to read. The snake was the most clever of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. The snake spoke to the woman and said, woman, did you really, did God really tell you that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I want you to notice, I highlighted a different word in my version. That word, clever. The Bible says that the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. I went through over 25 versions of the Bible to see how they referenced this verse. And I found some very interesting words to replace clever with. Other versions says that this snake or the serpent or Satan was cunning crafty, shrewd, wily, and a word that I had never used before in my life, feller, F-E-L-L-E-R. So I had to look it up. You know I had to look it up. And I found feller to be a pretty interesting word. It's a comparative. Feller is a comparative for causing or resulting in death or for being highly cruel or violent in nature. So the snake was the most cunning of all the animals, the most crafty of all the animals, the most shrewd of all the animals, the most wily of all the animals, the most feller of all the animals. Let me tell you something. Based on our criteria, here comes a question. Could Eve have determined whether or not the snake was the wrong people? Whether she had initial conversations or interactions with the snake or not, could she have determined it? Well, pastor, we didn't have Matthew and James and first John, Eve didn't have that. Well, doggone it, she had better. She walked with God. Amen. Don't shoot that smack at me. I'm asking you a question. Could she have used godly criteria to determine whether or not the snake was good people or bad people when the snake asked her about what God said? Before we go back through the criteria and just point out a few things, know this. If Eve had any prior activities 
with the serpent, then she overlooked bad fruit. She should have known she shouldn't have been able to trust him because the Bible says that he was the most clever and cunning and crafty and shrewd and wily and feller animal of them all. She should have known who she was talking to or who was talking to her. But let's give her the benefit of the doughty. Let's say that this, you know what, she was, she was just green and she was just, you know what, she just automatically was just like, well, maybe I can trust this snake. Work my criteria backwards for me. Start, go backwards and up, starting from that message Bible in 1 James. So just go, 1 John. The first thing she did wrong was she, she shouldn't believe everything that she hear. If she didn't weigh it and examine it to make sure it came from God to determine whether or not that snake was a lying rascal, she should have used criteria. If she had used the right criteria, she would have been able to determine that snake is wrong people. Go up one more. Did she test the spirit? If she had tested the spirit and she had made sure that she truly sifted it, she would have been able to determine that that spirit did not come from God and she would not have been in that position. Go up one. Did she really scrutinize the words? I mean, this, this snake was the most cunning, the most shrewd. I'm sure somewhere out there in the garden, if she had done her proper due diligence, she would have been able to find, up, find out that this rascal's words don't line up with who he says he is or who he's presenting himself to be. She would have found a fig tree that is making olives or she would have found a grapevine that is making figs? Hmm. She could have sniffed out whether it was salty water or bad water or good water or bitter water or fresh water coming out of that snake's mouth if she had applied godly criteria. Go up one. Was she swooned by the snake's charisma? Is the way that the snake presented the argument or the question something that got her to look and turn a blind eye to who the snake really was? Did she allow herself to get her emotions exploited? It was a diseased tree. This criteria says chances are they are out to, to rip you off in some way or other. The serpent definitely sought to rip her off. Go up one criteria, last one. This rascal is wily, which means he out there in the garden wiling. 
So there should be some actions out there that if she really does her due diligence and not just accept him for who he is or for who it says it is or for who it presents itself to be, if she gets out there and stop being so lazy and identify the fruit and the actions of this snake, she would have known that this snake should not have been trusted. Take me back to my exhibit 1A. And let's get your pastor off of this coin's edge. Loved ones. <sighs> there is a difference between when the right person asks you about what you said, God said, and when the wrong person asks you about what you said, God said. When the wrong person asks you about what you said, God said, they are looking to deceive you and move you out of God's will. When the right person asks you and inquires about what God said to you, what you said God said, they're asking you to confirm your certainty, not to deceive you. Likewise, when I ask you to scrutinize even the people who are in your circle that you say God said should be there, I am looking to have you scrutinize your circle for your good. I am having you scrutinize your circle so that I can hopefully help you guide your life into a better direction. I am not trying to deceive you. So what I want you to do is lift up your finger, grab my coin, and doggone it, flip it on where it say right people. I'm not standing here telling you that you are untruthful and what you said, God said. But what I am saying is, when you compare that person in your circle to some criteria that comes out of the living word of God, that that criteria, when it looks at the person and when you say God said about the person, those two should line up. Because whereas you are saying that God said that person should be there, your criteria may holler back at you, God said what? Family, it's for your own good. Next image, please. Family, I am not looking to get you crossways with God. I'm actually looking to align you with him. If we were to boil down this to a statement, and we've said it before while we're here in this session, but let's go ahead and just say it directly. 
when you take that person and you compare that person to the criteria, how does what God said in his word compare to what you said God said? And I want you to consider it deeply. This is not just a surface consideration. You gots to get in there. Leaving feelings at the dough. Label them properly. Because recalls, recall, loved ones, Jesus did not turn Jairus' daughter's life around until after he had gotten rid of the wrong people. Before I let you go, I have some parting remarks for you. To be specific, I have three parting remarks for you. And those parting remarks are something that I want you to hold on to as you go through this process. And your pastor have their pastor hasn't forgotten. I haven't forgotten that last week I asked y'all to hold off one more week before, you know, getting in there and flexing your muscle on your circle. Recognizing that I've already asked you for a week, for those of you who are just chomping at the bit to go ahead and get things started, I'm not going to ask you to hold off anymore. But just realize what I've asked you to do this session only is to just label. I haven't asked you to go da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, charge. I haven't asked you to take the sword out. And in, in telling you that, it's because I have one more session with you on the topic of these right and wrong people. And believe me, it will benefit you to have that information before you engage in the process completely. Labeling now is fine. And for those of you who are just, Pastor, you can't hold back a Mustang. Realize that I'm going to tell you up front. I believe we've been talking about right people and the wrong people for some time. I believe you have received enough good quality information to, I'll tell you quite frankly, to make a pretty good decision. I'm going to tell you that right now. So if you were to run out and start doing stuff, I don't think you, you, you necessarily misuse, probably not the right word, you wouldn't necessarily be mislabeling people. 
But the action part of it is the part that I want to make sure you do not do wrong. So we got one more to talk about this. And you know what? Once again, if you're chopping at the bit, as I hear people say, ladies say, do you, boo. But here are the three remarks that I want you to keep in mind. I'm going to give you a word of encouragement, a disclaimer, and a reminder, all things you've heard before. But here we go. Going through this process, your encouragement is this. It is okay for you to conclude that someone is not good for you. You know how this goes. Hands on your heart. Make it personal. Everybody, hands on your heart. Say this with me. Say, it's okay okay for me to conclude conclude that someone someone is not good for me. That's your encouragement. Disclaimer is, I want you to remain sensitive to other people's feelings. Remember, we're not just going out being insensitive. We're going out with the mindset of, what if I were on the other side of this conversation? What if somebody has labeled me the wrong person? How would I want them to handle my feelings? And the reminder. For some of your dismissals of the right pe- of the wrong people, you won't need a conversation. But in some regards, you might need a conversation. I'm not asking you to make the conversation extensive. It should be as abrupt, plain, to the point, as necessary. But loved ones, know that you are giving a reason. You're not asking them to accept your decision. That's not what you're asking. Looks like we're positioned for me to have a good chat with you again next week. And before I leave, let me say something. I don't want this to wait another seven days because I know I'm going to say it next week. Your pastor is not promoting divorce. I don't know who that's for. But I'm not doing that. Can you label your spouse wrong people? Oh, yeah, you, it's good. The criteria don't care the relationship. And just to round it out, I know I'm a big boy. Life is real. That sometimes it just doesn't work out. And in that regard, we're not asking anybody to condemn themselves or whatever. I'm just saying, in that regard, it's not as simple as applying criteria. but that just gives you a little sense of next week. If you get to that point, you must, you should have applied some criteria. But we're not promoting 
just arbitrarily getting rid of people. We're not promoting breaking homes. We're not promoting cratering lives. That is not what we're promoting. We're promoting growing up believers as true disciples and being able to live your life where you can meet people and truly take the time out instead of being so open and accepting and sift for yourself the type of person that you're getting ready to get in relationship with. For many of us, we've already said, for most of us, we're already in relationships. So the question is, what do you do now that you're in there? We'll touch on that. But I do not take back a word concerning this criteria. It applies. Relationship doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, my gosh. Is that me? Hold on, y'all. I hear Miss Marilyn preaching. Wow. Thing just started talking on his own. That's a power. <laughs> uh, I love y'all so much. I want, I want you to realize that if you were to get into your Bible, you can, as you can imagine, make that criteria even more detailed than that. I purposefully came today to challenge what people said God said. Because it's time out for people being committing their lives to relationships based on what they want the relationship to be. It's not about what you want it to be, it's about what it is. And until you really can see it for what it is, you won't be able to make the necessary steps to hopefully even get it to change. But for now, you have your criteria. Begin doing your tagging. And for those people that you said God said should be there, hopefully that criteria tells you you're right. If it doesn't, if there's a conflict, Guess you take it up with God. I'm not going to debate with you what you said God said. But I can tell you what God says. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted when we come here and you speak life into us. Continue to breathe life into us, God. Continue to grow us up. Continue to 
as you do so well, fashion and shape and discipline us. It doesn't always feel good, but it's always good for us. I pray that you give each person the courage and the strength to objectively evaluate the people in their circle. Hard decisions are not decisions that we walk away from. Many times, God, it's the hard decisions that we walk away from that keep us in long-term misery. That crater vision that destroy joy and happiness. So we turn and face tough decisions. And as we're guided by your spirit, we would take, we are going to take the steps and carry out those tough decisions that will help promote a better life for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Hmm. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.